0: Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Todd Sack is a Florida physician who several years ago initiated the program, actually it's more than several years ago now, known as My Green Doctor. And his focus was to teach doctors' offices how to be more ecological, safe, and more efficient. It received wide acceptance and praise, which it deserved. Now he is president of an organization known as Physicians for Social Responsibility, and one of their mandates for years has been to deal with climate change. He joins us today to talk about the very pressing climate change issues before us. Dr. Sack, Todd, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be with you and your audience.
0: While I was preparing for this, it occurred to me that perhaps I would call this episode my green life. The amount of talk that is now related to climate change has escalated. And in part, this is from the storms, the heat wave, the rising sea levels, and multitudes of other real issues. But I really would prefer not to discuss those who are climate change doubters. I would rather talk initially, and we can get to the doubting folks if we have time, I would rather talk about those who accept climate change as the reality it is, and to be very specific, as much as possible, as to what individuals can do to help reduce their carbon footprints, which is our total carbon footprint. When you did the Green Doctor program, much of it was talking about awareness, but some of it was also very specific about air conditioning, lighting, turning machines off at night, and so on. I would like to revisit that approach. The climate change challenge seems so big. What can an individual do to mitigate the problem?
1: When I began with my green doctor together with colleagues at the Florida Medical Association in 2008, our focus was really twofold. One was to educate our peers at the Florida Medical Association, fellow doctors and nurses and health professionals on the problem of climate change, but second was to give people real tools that they can use in their medical practices, but also in their own lives, and that they can share with patients and with their communities, giving people practical tools that they can use. Yes, the problem is daunting. Yes, we wonder sometimes whether our individual actions make any difference when there are vast problems going on in our economies and in governments that need to really change quickly if we're going to have a chance to have a good quality of life in the face of climate change. My view is really twofold. First, we all need to do something, partly because emotionally we want to do something, but also because in aggregate, the small things we do as individuals, companies, or small towns will add up in aggregate, but also that the actions we do will move our government and our big economic planners to make decisions on our behalf. I'm a firm believer that uh, working at the small level can add up to a, a big impact. At My Green Doctor, we look at all aspects of how we run our businesses, also look to the home as well. Just in general, we talk about energy, water, and chemicals. We talk about conserving paper and recycling. We talk about exercise. And we talk about how to communicate with your neighbors, your children, your colleagues, how to communicate in government. And we even talk about voting, which is extremely important to persuade our leaders, to find leaders who understand these issues and roll up the sleeves to make a difference for us.
0: Are these topics being adequately discussed in not just the medical community, but in society, the real nitty-gritty things of what to do and not to do. What I find very, it's comforting, but it seems like it's not enough, that with the heat wave that we're going through, the news media is talking about the importance of getting shade and staying hydrated, and that's all well and good. But it doesn't, to me, speak to the larger issues of learning. For example, how to use less electricity in the house and maybe how to drive so that you don't need the air conditioner at full intensity or maybe not to speed up just to break because that just wastes gasoline and gives heat. What do you see? Is there enough of this? And if not, why? How do we get to the individual stuff?
1: Yeah, well, let's get to the actual recommendations that I have, rendered. Ask your other questions. Are the messages getting out? They're just beginning to. When we started talking about this at the Florida Medical Association, in 2008, we could barely use the word climate change because people got upset and defensive climate change. That's not real. How can you talk about that? Those days are over. Reasonable people in every part of the country, they get it. They get that we have a problem and we need to do something about it. So gone are the days where we couldn't even talk about climate change in many political and social circles. So that's good. There are lots of messages out there, no doubt about it. But I saw a survey from April of 2023, before this summer, heat waves, a survey of Americans, that showed that just barely half, 51% of Americans felt that extreme heat was important, even though extreme heat is the number one cause of climate-related death, not just in America, but all around the world. So we have a long way to go. I hope that after this year's extreme heat events and the many deaths that have happened in America and other places, more people will come around. It takes constant messaging. That this really is important and that really terrible things are happening and more will have, it takes that constant messaging to get people to listen, pay attention in their homes, in the communities and at the ballot box. I think it's starting to happen. I agree
0: with you. I have also been involved with the climate change issue for many years. But what I'm troubled by, and I'd like your thoughts, is that the changes that we seem to need are actually changes in our lifestyle. And sometimes that's just inconvenient. I don't want to frighten people, but I'm worried that they're not going to take this as seriously as perhaps you and I are right now. Because, yeah, it's harder to make it not as comfortable in the house or not waste electricity. I'm reflecting on what you were just saying, the change between when you started in 2008 and now. Do you think people are willing to make these behavioral
1: changes? Well, my view is that there will be generational differences in how communities approach this. You know, I'm over 60 years old. But I've already spent most of my energy during my consuming know, living in a big house for a long time, driving gas-powered cars and the like. But I think the next generation is taking a different view of this. The electric car is taking off. They're not just more fun to drive, but they're economical. Driving electric car energy more efficient. The next generation is really serious about avoiding plastics and looking at chemicals with a different light, thinking about whether these are really safe. And I think we're voting climate, and that's extremely important. I'm hopeful that the next generation, those people younger than I am, are beginning to make those changes and make a difference. People looking at smaller houses as well, using less energy, buying the better appliances, they're beginning to make a difference. But again, it's going to take some time. I hope that climate has the time for these changes to make a difference, to avoid catastrophe as the years go by. But I see the change that you're talking about. I, I see the electric cars on the street. I see the greater number of solar panels and wind turbines. I see, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I really see change beginning to come about. More people are talking about recycling and avoiding plastic. How important this is, is that people pay attention.
0: I agree with you that there seems to be a tremendous amount of change across generations, and I would like the concept that you and I, shall we say, on this side of 60, have probably consumed most of the energy that we're ever going to consume in our lifetime. The changes that we're talking about, and the data shows that the United States is one of the major users of power. What about the rest of the world, even if we were to change 150 percent? that may not be enough for the rest of the world. What about other cultures, economic situations? And again, not to be just one who is saying the sky is falling, but what can we give people to help them make the modifications that are necessary? And I have to throw in another thought. Do we really know which modifications are necessary?
1: This start at home. I think that's a good place to begin. What can we as individuals or individual families do in our own lives that make a difference? We have already talked about the need to talk about climate with our families and our colleagues. But what do we do in the home? What the, the biggest discourse in this is, is, of course, energy use. Whatever we can do to decrease our greenhouse gas footprint, to decrease the amount of energy we're using, meaning the amount of fossil fuels being burned to support our lifestyle. Whatever we can do, we need to start with that. So it does begin at home. The day-to-day things do matter, how we set our thermostats. So in the United States, your air conditioner should be set at 72, no cooler than that in the summer. In the winter, set your heater at 68 or lower. It's going to be a little chilly put on a sweater. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It can be quite attractive. The heat settings make a difference. Also in the energy field, if we're not using an appliance, unplug it turn it off because appliances use power even when they're turned off, but if they're plugged in, most we call energy hogs, they're draining power slowly and increasing your energy bill. When we buy an appliance, only buy appliances marked with the Energy Star label from the U.S. Department of Energy. These are appliances that have been shown in studies to use less energy. They might be slightly more expensive when you buy them at the store, but over a few years save lots of money and decrease power, use, lower electric bills. Be sure your air conditioner is well-maintained so it's working efficiently. Make sure that your heater is well-maintained as well. Open windows if you can instead of turning on the air conditioner. In our kitchen, we want to try to use electric stoves that efficiency and fewer toxins in the home with an electric stove electricity in the home makes a difference. Once you get out of the house, that car makes a big difference. If you don't need to take a trip, don't take it, but choose the electric car when you're buying your next vehicle or leasing your next vehicle. They're a lot of fun and they save money. My family has an electric car. There's no maintenance for the car. After two years, we haven't had to do a thing to it. There's no oil to change. There's no transmission fluid to work on. You just rotate the tires every year. It's just remarkable how much money you save with an electric car over a gas-powered vehicle. These are the things you can begin to do on the energy side. When you're planning your vacation, stay nearer to home. Try to use mass transit if you have buses or trains as an option. Try not to take too many long-distance air flights because of the great energy cost of our airplanes. And These are other things you can do. Energy-wise, there's a lot we can do and I'm always going to almost end every paragraph of this conversation with voting climate. Look for leaders who understand what I just talked about and will invest in renewable energy over subsidizing the fossil fuel industry like coal and gas. Maybe I'll stop there just for a minute.
0: I like the concept of the voting climate. It's another climate change that we need to make. Yeah
1: it's sad climate has become a partisan issue. We all live in the same environment. We all face the same struggles. And I wish that every political party would begin to see climate change as a wonderful opportunity as we invest in renewable energy. The jobs out there to be had in manufacturing solar panels, installing solar panels, putting in new transmission lines that are needed to support the energy grid. These are the things we need to invest, Invest investing research and development in better solar panels, better software for managing grid. We can do this. It's great opportunities now more people working wind industry in America. It's a wonderful opportunity. So we need to turn to those people who are in the coal industry and offer them jobs, buildings, relocate in manufacturing so they can be part of this clean energy process. Uh, all these steps are needed. Rid ourselves of the addiction to fossil fuels that we just have to do. We've probably seen these reports. The line is drawn. We must abandon fossil fuel for transportation by 2035 and pretty much except for some manufacturing needs, some pharmaceuticals and maybe a few products, some plastic still after 2050 anywhere in the planet. If we're going to make it as a civilization in the century ahead, have to make these transitions and quickly.
0: One of the things that has always impressed me is the amount of fossil fuel necessary to bring our food from wherever it's made to here. Therefore, to try to use foods that are grown locally, the enormity of the trucking service needed to move the foods. It's just enormous. And it may seem like it's not a whole lot to get tomatoes that were grown nearby, but it adds up. And that's the piece that I think people have got to think about. Yes, I'm just buying my half a pound of tomatoes. Does that really make a
1: difference? The answer is yes. It does. And it's also a lifestyle issue. When you become a locavore, eating locally produced produce, produce grown within within a few hours by truck of where you live, so locally grown, you're also improving the appearance of your community because that means there'll be more farms in the area that are very nice to look at and you see more farms and that's lovely. So some people talk about the concept of eat your view, eat foods grown locally within your region. Supporting local farmers is really nice for your lifestyle, just from a selfish standpoint.
0: What about the larger issues of sea level rise? There's a lot of talk about that our coastline will change shape and there may be less land for people to live on. Frightening. It's massive. Is this part of what we need to educate people of how to prepare
1: themselves? Some
0: people call this resilience.
1: If people are looking for something to do. To of us leaves with climate change. Getting involved in your local resilience project is both very satisfying and can really make a difference. Almost every community in America is beginning to think about how a position to prepare to defend itself for the changes that are coming about under climate change. If you're a coastal community, it's about being prepared for sea level rise and increased flooding. As you said, if you live in the mountains, it may be forest fires or drought that you need to have resilience to prepare for. It. Many, many communities, have not most are beginning to wake up and form local committees or public boards or commissions to ask how to address climate change. I've been very involved in my own resilience community projects in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live, and met some wonderful people, both volunteers like myself and some government employees dedicated to figuring out where the vulnerabilities are in our community for the city to work on resilience, determine our vulnerabilities. Things like where might our essential structures be located that might flood and be unavailable during a storm. Are our hospitals vulnerable? Are our fire departments vulnerable? Are police stations vulnerable? and then coming up with plans to protect them. How do you fortify a hospital during a big storm? These are really important issues, so I'd encourage everyone to subscribe to the local newspaper or public radio, be aware of what's going on and find a way that you can get engaged. Go to public meetings, volunteer to be on a subcommittee, maybe even speak to your local city council person, a city commissioner, and ask, hey, how can I get involved? I want to be involved in helping to protect and prepare my own community. I will encourage people to have a few, a few hours in the month to get involved in local resilience efforts. Another piece of that is the health component. Do our cities have adequate preparation for the great heat event that's going to come to everyone during their summer where it's over 110 degrees Fahrenheit for several days in a row and people who are vulnerable are at risk of dying? We need to have heat plans in every community so that our public officials can get out and find people and get them to sh- shelters where they can be cool. We need to have education programs to prepare for the sort of great heat events. People know to take care of themselves and not need public health. Part of everyone's got to be an extreme heat plan. Of course, also a plan for evacuation in an extreme storm event, flash flooding. Preparation for climate events is really important. There's a great role for citizen input here.
0: This is a public health urgency. Not an if. It is.
1: Yeah. What I find
0: that a lot of people yet don't seem to either want to do or know how to do is to be part of the public health urgency, resolution, action, and so on. I think we've become, people might disagree with me on this, but that's okay. I think we've become too comfortable in letting other people do it for us. Oh, that's the public health department. They'll take care of it. I don't have to change. I think that's some of the change that we need to pursue, encourage, educate. Maybe we'll call it resilience training again. That's our responsibility. And as physicians, because we have to be prepared to deal with these things and the health effect that comes thereafter. And that's why I'm so pleased with the fact that over a decade ago, you started My Green Doctor. How's that going today? Is it still getting the reception that it, it should be or has it kind of gotten
1: quiet? Well thank you for asking. My green doctor is alive and doing well. My green doctor is a practice management resource for health professionals around the world predominantly for those who work in the outpatient setting so in our clinic in our offices in our Private practices and our outpatient surgical centers and our diagnostic centers. It's a service to help us learn how to green our practices. To add five minutes of My Green Doctor of environmental sustainability topics, and in these five minute segments a week or once a month, when your staff is there to to make a difference in our uses of energy, water, chemicals, food, transportation, and we help practices to talk to their patients and colleagues about these same topics. You don't just green the office and save money and decrease the greenhouse footprint of the healthcare office or clinic. You also share these wise ideas with your patients in the waiting room and, and in that way can have an even greater impact for climate change than just what you do in the office. My Doctors is two websites, MyGreenDoctor.org in English and MyGreenDoctor.es, which is the same resource in Spanish and we have the Spanish site because migrant doctors are all the world in more than 80 countries and have about 20,000 health professionals accessing the website every year. By the way, anyone can register, not just doctors and nurses and healthcare managers. Uh, we welcome attorneys and mechanics and accountants and anyone and even individuals can log on because we have literally dozens and dozens of ideas. Take your practice or your business or your home green. If you ask me in 2008, when we first launched how many people were using the site, it was about one office joining us every six weeks, and now it's several a day, and, that, and that's been gratifying to see. Will we give them a script of uh, the office manager or interested nurse or doctor will simply read the script for that five-minute segment? That helps them see just what issues to deal with and to make one or two decisions in each of those five-minute segments, so they may make a change in the energy use or a change in the use of chemicals or what products are being purchased that month, paper, or chemicals, otherwise. Or they may decide on which educational tools to share with patients and colleagues. Little by little, step by step, changes make a difference over time. People look back after six months and they're amazed how many wonderful decisions they made, how much money they're saving as well with less energy and water use.
0: And one of the nice things about My Green Doctor, there are other organizations that offer similar type of things, but you have two elements that I think make it unique, and it's a wonderful starting point. Number one, you started in 2008. That's huge. Secondly, you're seasoned. You've learned what's important, you've learned what works, what attracts people, what doesn't attract people, and as we go from My Green Doctor, we're gonna to go to My Green Life, and let's all participate in this and be realistic and do as much as we can to save our ability to live on this planet, and do it. Let's start again. And again, and again, until we do as much as we can. Thank you for those kind words. You've been around for over a decade for a reason. (laughs) So as my grandmother would say, you must be doing something right.
1: There really isn't any organization like ours focusing on the retail medical office and clinic. And I know there's tremendous opportunity for us as health professionals, as managers, to save money by going green with that greater impact to share wise concepts, wise choices, with our patients is where it can really make a difference. People trust the nurses and the doctors, and so that when we recycle, when we're using energy wisely, when we're using chemicals wisely, people see that, and it makes a difference. When the doctor's parking lot is full of gas guzzlers, people see that when it's full of energy efficient, small automobiles electrically powered, people will notice that and it makes a difference. I encourage we as health professionals to
0: be role models for our communities. And Let's be a good role model for them as well as practicing in ourselves. Todd Sack is a physician who has worked in environmental issues for a long time and his work with his enterprise, shall we say, of My Green Doctor is now something that has many good things that would be good for the rest of us. So please look it up, learn, and let's work together to make this as good a place as we can to live. Todd, thank you so much. This has been interesting and necessary, and I hope it gives people a direction. So I I, I wish you well, and I thank you again.
1: Thank you. And I'd like to thank you for the remarkable work you're doing, talking about so many important topics, important to our communities and to our profession. Thank you so much.